chapter 5, verses 14 through 42, if you'd like to follow along on your apps or your own Bibles, but also the words will be up on the screen. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. The high priest and his officials, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. Then he told them, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple, as they were told, and immediately began teaching. When the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. Then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for trial. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and reported, the jail was securely locked with the guards standing outside, but when we opened the gates, no one was there. When the captain of the temple guard and the leading priest heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where it would all end. Then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple, teaching the people. The captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. Then they brought the apostles before the high council, where the high priest confronted them. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name, he said. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. But Peter and the, and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. And he did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. When they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill them. But one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert at religious law and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. Then he said to his colleagues, men of Israel, take care what you are planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was that fellow Thetis who pretended to be someone great and about 400 others joined him, but he was killed and all his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too, and all of his followers were scattered. So my advice is, leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. The others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged, and then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. 
The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. Thank you, Emily. Um, Today we're talking about civil disobedience. When to stand up and say no which is good. It's a timely message, and it's interesting that the movie series gives us an opportunity to do this, because Evangeline and I have been under an oppressive regime in our household with Karen ruling over us with love and being incredibly selfless and conscientious, and so we've actually developed a three-point plan to rise up and to to resist in a nonviolent way, of course, but yeah, there's going to be some some resistance in your future. Just wanted to to let you know, so so there we go. Um, Talking about civil disobedience, there's several ways to, to think about this, and this is an important thing for us to think about, especially as we enter into a culture that is increasingly hostile to the things that, that we believe. Um, we live in America. We live in a land of freedom. We live in a land of liberty. We're incredibly blessed. But in case you guys don't think this is real, about three blocks down the street this way, there's a, a church. It's the Falls Church Episcopal Church. They were a church before America was a nation. They've been in continuous operation for more than 200 years. George Washington went there. I mean, like, you know, locating a church that's been around for, since before countries were, were formed. Uh, about a year and a half ago, they had their property taken away from them because they continued to believe what the Bible said. Didn't change their beliefs. They simply said, no, no. We continue to believe what the Bible says about certain things the same way we have for more than 200 years. And because of that belief, the diocese of the American Episcopal Church sued them, took away their property, and made 4,000 people of this church homeless. They now meet in a junior high school. (laughs) Pastor John Yates, he's a good guy. But listen, there will come a time when saying, when we read from the book of Romans, it may cost us something. Um, and so we, we want to think about these things before they happen. We want to set our jaw, as it were, to do what's right, to stand up for what we believe, even if that costs us a lot. So let's start here. This guy named Henry, Henry David Thoreau in the mid-1800s, he went out and lived in the woods for a couple of years. It's kind of a, the 1800s version of tiny house. To simplify his life, he went and lived in the woods and and to prepare for, for this message to really get there, uh, Karen and I, Karen who's been enamored by the idea of a tiny house, so we've, we've been sleeping in our sink and we have a composting toilet, you know, in, in the kitchen. So just, just to get used to the, you know, what it would be like to, to actually live in a tiny house. But Thoreau lived in the woods for a couple of years and he basically divested himself of all of his assets, sold all of his stuff. You know, he owned like a, an old gum wrapper and a pair of shoes and that was about it. And, and it seems on the surface that Thoreau was a crazy man. And to be honest... A little bit unhinged, a little bit. But what he was doing was actually very deliberate. Because in 1849, he wrote an essay called On the Nature, the Duty of Civil Disobedience. This was in 1849. Thoreau was an abolitionist, very much against slavery. And what he did was he stopped paying taxes because he felt like the institution of America was supporting the institution of slavery and he didn't want to pay for it, (laughs) right? And being the, the crazy wild man that he was, when he didn't pay his taxes, they, they threw him in jail a little bit, but they threatened to come take all his stuff. And he said, sure, here's an old newspaper and a gun wrapper. That's all my stuff. <laughs> so he kind of he did it on purpose to prepare for his act of resistance. But here's what he said. This wasn't written last week, by the way. This was written more than 100 years ago. No man with a genius for legislation has appeared in America. They're rare in the history of the world. 
<laughs> there are orators, politicians, and eloquent men by the thousands, but the speaker has not yet opened his mouth who is capable of settling the much-vexed questions of the day. We love eloquence for its own sake and not for any truth which it may utter or for any heroism it may inspire. Our legislators have not yet learned the comparative value of free trade and freedom, of union and of rectitude to a nation. They have no genius or talent for comparatively humble questions of taxation and finance, commerce and manufacturers and agriculture. If we were left solely to the wordy wit of legislators in Congress for our guidance, uncorrected by the seasonable experience and effectual complaints of the people, America would not long retain her rank among the nations. For 1,800 years, though perchance I have no right to say it, the New Testament has been written, yet where's the legislator who has the wisdom and practical talent enough to avail himself of the light which it sheds on the science of legislation? (laughs) And that's where we're going today. Gosh, sometimes our government gets it wrong. Sometimes we need to stand against them. How do we do that? We're going to look to the New Testament for our guide. But first, we're going to look through the lens of the movie Civil War because that is the question that it's asking. The central question, when do we engage in civil disobedience? When do we cross that line to willingly break the existing law of our government because of conscience? Now, the movie, in my opinion, artfully argues both sides of the equation, and both sides are clearly in play. It touches on many of the issues we need to be thoughtful about in this regard. So what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to lay out both sides. We're going to watch a couple of video clips. The video is going to be heavily loaded to the front of the message, and then we'll look at what Scripture says at the back. But I'll try to lay out both sides. I'll give you my opinion, and we'll look at what the Bible says in this regard. So let me, let me break it up this way. One perspective that Civil War uh, espouses or that it puts forth the argument for, let me call it the Accords perspective, the Sokovia Accords, that is something like this. Individuals have a certain amount of power, right? They should have accountability and oversight because even well-meaning people can cause a lot of damage. Let's watch the first clip. The fun thing about the Accords perspective is that uh, they have a point, right? There's a legit message in there somewhere. Something like... Individuals do need to be held accountable. We do need a check if somebody just goes crazy. Um, if, we, if we all get to do what we think is right at all times, and everybody does that, it's, it's called anarchy, and that's not, that's not a good thing. On the other side of it, we have the hero perspective, which is the where Captain America lands, and that is we must use our power for good. We've got to make the best moral choices about when and how to act. When we see something wrong happening, we need to act to stop it. We can't just talk about it. We can't just wait for our congressman to do something. We need to do something. And there's something to that as well. Let's watch one more clip. For Captain America and for (laughs) Spider-Man, to see a wrong, to have the power they have and to not act goes against their internal moral imperative. And the reality is that Captain America trusts his own heart and his own judgment more than the bureaucracy of government because sometimes the bureaucracy of government has agendas. He also has a point. Uh, Listen, there there are problems with both of these views. The the problem with the accord is is this. Institutions can be unjust. Even in America, you know, we have a great country. I love America. Especially if you've traveled abroad, the first thing you'll do, you'll you'll come back, you'll kiss the ground, you'll have an American hamburger, and you'll be really glad you lived here. Because when you see what nations are like other places in the world, you're very, very thankful for the liberties and the freedom that we have here. We really do live in a wonderful place. But it took us 100 years to figure out that you couldn't own people, right? I mean, we we had a great civil war because of the issue of slavery. And a lot of our early economic success was because of free labor that wasn't free at all to thousands of people that we had enslaved 
institutions can be unjust. It's up to individuals, right, to make that change. We've either got to change the institution, work from the system from the inside, or we have to directly resist it somehow or other. And you see Gandhi, you see Martin Luther King, who read their Thoreau and went, ah, this nonviolent resistance thing might be a good idea. But it's the problem of the accords, right? Institutions can be unjust, and so it's not okay to just let them have carte blanche and do whatever they want and to always let our will fall to the word of the government. On the other side of it, the heroes have a problem as well, right? Sometimes we don't make the right choice as individuals. Sometimes we do need to be put in check. And you see this in the movie whenever Iron Man goes to the prison ship in the, in the South Pacific and Hawkeye and, and people who are no kidding Avengers have now been put in cells. And they, they start talking to Tony Stark as Iron Man saying, what are you doing? When did, when did a criminal, when, when did the term criminal now apply to me? <laughs> you know, Hawkeye just calls him on it and he's right. The, the United Nations with the Accords have just gone too far in their policing of, of what they're doing. They, they've given heroes <laughs> limiting their freedom to the point of locking them up. And on, on the other side of it, the heroes sometimes make the wrong choices as well. When Iron Man learns that Bucky Barnes is the Winter Soldier, is the one who has killed his parents, he goes absolutely crazy and tries to murder him on the spot. It's not what a hero does, right? And it's not what his position is in terms of we need to let justice have its day, or there needs to be process, there needs to be checks. Like, nope, he decides to take that into his own hands and just attacks him on the spot. Sometimes heroes make the wrong choice. And so there, these two perspectives have to be held in balance. They have to be held in check. And there's a tension one against the other. So here's the question. Given that both of them are legitimate to some extent, given that both of them have a point, given that both of them are in play, and we want both of them in play, let's look at what scripture has to say and pull three principles about civil disobedience in terms of when to cross the line. Okay. So the problem with Catherine and America in my, in my head is this. They don't have a clear source of moral authority. <laughs> Everyone, like the book of Judges, is doing what, what they see is right in their own eyes. I mean, doesn't that seem to be true? Captain America is doing what he believes to be right. So is Iron Man. So is Hawkeye. So is the Secretary of State, Ross. So is, everybody is doing what they, want, they think is right in their own eyes. None of them are in agreement about things. And it's a mess. It's a huge mess. <laughs> They're all doing what they believe is right. But from a Christian perspective... If we accept the authority of God and God's word inputting into our lives, we have a different starting point. And that is to find out what God wants us to do is revealed to us in scripture and step into the very center of that, right? And it, it sometimes it's surprising what God wants us to do. The first instruction to the early church when the apostles, when Jesus said, I'm going to go away, something's going to happen, but here's my first instruction. I want you to go start spreading the church. I want you to start teaching. That wasn't his first instruction. His first instruction was to wait, <laughs> right? To pray, to worship, to set aside time and wait for marching orders. They went to the upper room and they didn't know what to do next. And when the Holy Spirit came, that was revealed to them. But sometimes God centers us into a place where we don't know what to do next. He tells us to wait to find out. So here's the first thing that I want to say about civil disobedience. Scripture has to be our source and foundation for clear thinking. It can't just be our opinions. It can't just be what we think. It can't be what our parents thought. It can't be what our friends think. It has to be scripture. And we have to lift 
the revelation and the knowledge and wisdom of God above our own opinions, right? As plentiful and as good as they may be, we've got to lift God's word above what we think. It's a good thing if we can do that. Scripture has to be our source and foundation. The second thing is this. I think we cross the line in terms of civil disobedience when we're commanded to do what is forbidden. There are times when the state or an organization will instruct us to do things in a way that is no kidding contrary to God's law. We see that in Daniel chapter 3. Let's take a quick look. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now what had happened is that there were people who were jealous of the three Hebrew children in the, in the story. They wanted to take them down. And what they did was they talked Nebuchadnezzar into passing a law that said, we're going to set up a statue of you. Everyone's going to be commanded to worship the statue. And anybody who doesn't is going to be put to death. Nebuchadnezzar said, that's a good idea because I like me and I like statues. I like, you know, putting people to death. That's, it's a lot of fun. It's a party. Let's do it. So when they did that, they actually passed a law, a no kidding law. <laughs> You're going to worship this thing. And it was in contrary, it was in contrariness to what the Hebrew children believed. To do that, they were commanded to do what was forbidden. They lived by the Ten Commandments. Don't put any other gods before me. Don't worship a graven image. And so they stood up and said, no, we're going to put you to death. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, do, do what you want to do. Because God can deliver us out of the front. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to do what you want us to do, right? They stood up in no kidding civil disobedience because they were commanded to do what is forbidden. Another example of, of this in recent memory is uh, the China one-child policy. Happened in the mid-70s, mid to late 70s, I think, where China was fearing overpopulation. We don't have enough food. We don't have enough stuff. So basically what they did was they said, you're allowed to have one kid, <laughs> And after that, you're not allowed to have any more kids. Well, people are people. People got pregnant a second time. And what they did was they required by law for the second child to be aborted. Many Christians in China resisted that. And thousands, if not millions of times, the state <laughs> rounded these people up, arrested them, put women through a forced abortion, and then through a forced sterilization. It's happened in our lifetimes, this kind of thing. Commanded to do what is forbidden. It's one thing to say, you know what, abortion's the law of the land. We may, we may not like that, right? But no one's forcing us to get an abortion in America. The Chinese were actually commanding people to do what for Christians and what in their conscience was forbidden. Many of them fined, many of them imprisoned, many of them became refugees, and lots of horrible, horrible things done in the name of the state. For those Christians, it was right that they refused to comply, even if it had a terrible cost. It was right that they stood up and said, no, we're not going to do what you, what you want us to do. We're going to resist in any way that we can. We're fortunate in the U.S. that we don't deal with this one much, but in coming generations that may change. We need to be ready when faced with this kind of choice to say, nope, we're going to obey God's law above your law. So we use scripture as our source and foundation. We, we resist when we're commanded to do what is forbidden. And the third thing is we flip it around. When we're forbidden to do what is commanded. And this is the situation that we see in Acts chapter 5, right? 
the apostles were commanded to not speak up about Jesus. And they said, we're not going to do that. And so they, they put him in prison. Angel let him out. And what do they do? They go back to speaking about Jesus. They go right back to doing what they were arrested for in the first place because the angel busted them out of prison and said, keep doing what you're doing. The Sanhedrin put them in front of the court and they said, we've told you not to talk about this Jesus guy anymore. And they said, not going to happen. We're going to keep talking about the Jesus guy because the gospel of Christ is a higher law than the law that you're trying to cram down our throats. They refused to do it. They were threatened. They were imprisoned. They were beaten. Ultimately, thousands of Christians in the early church were martyred. Why? Because they refused to be silent. They refused to say, no, <laughs> we are not going to reject the name of Jesus, the name of Christ. Again, in the U.S., we enjoy the protection of religious freedom. We enjoy the protection of religious expression. We are free here to meet in the state theater and worship and say lots of cool things about Scripture, about the gospel. But make no mistake, that might not always be the case. So what will we do some years from now when simply reading aloud from the book of Romans is characterized as hate speech? And we're not that far away from that kind of thing. What do we do? we will have some hard decisions to make. Do we take God at his word? Do we trust in his providence? Do we, do we trust in his love? Do we trust in him even when that costs us our tax-exempt status, even when that costs us a lot, even when it costs our pastor his freedom, even when there are fines and things levied against us? What do we do? Listen, we've got to stand up and take God at his word. We have to trust in his providence. We have to trust in his love, even when that costs us something. And it will put us at odds with popular culture and maybe even with the law. Church of Falls Churches found this out the hard way. They went to no kidding court, federal court. They ruled against them decisively and took away their stuff. So with scripture as our guide, we, we center up in the foundation of what God wants us to do. We resist when we're commanded to do what is forbidden. We resist when we're forbidden to do what God commands us to do. But this is really important and this is what I want to close with. It's important that we do that with a different heart. If we find ourselves being forbidden to share the gospel of Christ and the hope of heaven, we need to refuse. And we need to do that boldly. We need to do that clearly. But in the future, if we face that choice, we must do so humbly. We must do so prayerfully. We must do so carefully. Even as we speak in love, even as we're crystal clear in the statement of our conviction, the simple fact is this, God doesn't call us to be adversarial, right? He doesn't call us to be contentious. He doesn't call us to be angry or violent. He calls us to, in contrast, to love our enemies, to bless those who curse us, to do good to people who are trying to screw us over, right? God calls us to that standard. He calls us to pray for people even when they are out to get us. And make no mistake, standing in the center of God's will in that situation will be something that will be compelling it will be something that will draw people to him. It will be something that will open the door for people to receive the redemptive love of Jesus Christ in a way that nothing else can. Because when people see that, they know it's real. They know it's real. They know we're not messing around when it costs us something. Now listen, I, I love the religious freedom we have in America. I love the liberty that our country currently gives us. I hope it never comes to this. I hope it doesn't come to this in our lifetime. But if it does... We will be thoughtful, we will be prayerful, we will trust that God's plan will work itself out in the end. We'll stand with Peter, with the false church, saying clearly, 
we're going to follow God's law above the laws of institutions, above the laws of men. And, and I just want to say this to you. Don't be afraid. Don't be. God has our back. Don't, don't worry about this. Try not to worry about things that are happening later. Don't spin up hypothetical situations. The only, the only thing that I want to say is this. We want to make these decisions in advance, right? And we want to think about these things in advance before they happen so that we can be clear-headed, so that we can be sober, so that we can center up into the very space that God wants us to walk into and strive to be everything that God is calling us to be. If we do that in advance, it's much easier to make the decision when it comes down to crunch time and we don't have an unlimited amount of time to think about it, to pray about it. When the decision has to be, be made quickly, we already know where we stand. So in your hearts, in your hearts now, today, think about where you are. Think about what you really believe. Think about what it would take for you to cross the line into civil disobedience. Find your foundation in scripture. Find your foundation in the counsel of your Christian friends um, with folks like Dwayne, with Greg, very wise people flying around the surge that you can bounce these things off of. And let's, uh, let's be everything that God has called us to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, this day you've given us, and I thank you for the opportunity to think some thoughts that we don't often think in church. That our commitment to you is to a higher law, to a higher love, that it might cost us something. Lord, I pray that you would just give us the grace to see that everything is part of your plan, that nothing is out of control, that nothing is permitted that you don't allow as part of your larger will. Lord, I pray that you would just give us courage, give us strength, give us a conviction of heart that we haven't had before. Give us clear thinking and wisdom about these things. And Lord, I pray that you would guide us and lead us into the very center of your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Every week we take uh, communion to remember what Christ has done, the sacrifice that he gave, the blood that was shed, the body that was broken. And so if you would, let's take a few minutes, uh, let's take a time of reflection and let's celebrate communion together. Thanks.